This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 344 with Nicole DeBoom. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 344. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Born and raised in the Chicago suburbs, Nicole DeBoom was a standout swimmer, qualifying for the 1988 Olympic trials and later graduating from Yale University. She decided to pursue the sport of triathlon and a lucky seat assignment introduced her to her future husband, Tim DeBoom, on a flight to the 1995 Triathlon World Championships. Nicole started racing professionally in 1999, racking up countless podium finishes. During the final stage of her racing career in 2004, Nicole created and introduced something that had never been done before, the very first running skirt. Shortly afterward, Nicole went on to launch Skirt Sports with the mission of helping women find inspiration, confidence, and courage through transformative power of running and fitness. Today, Skirt Sports is a national women's apparel brand offering a full line of products that fit real women's bodies and support their busy running lives. Currently, you can find Nicole chatting with customers at the Skirt Sports Boulder flagship store, helping women change their lives through her nonprofit, Running Start, interviewing visionaries for her popular podcast, Run This World, and chasing around her seven-year-old daughter, Wilder. Nicole's energy is as big and as dynamic as her racing career, and I think you're going to love this conversation. I actually had heard of Nicole previous to this conversation a couple times, and then I started realizing, I was like, why is this name familiar? Like, I've heard it in recent spaces and places, but also there's something about this Nicole DeBoom that is like, very familiar. So I started doing some research and I realized that Nicole and I were doing triathlons at the same time. Nicole was like a world-class athlete. I was not so much, but she was one of those people who was always on the circuit, winning things, her name and her husband's name too. They were like on every podium and just people that I admired tremendously. And I actually got to go to the Hawaii World Championships a year that they were both there racing. And so I'm sure that I saw her race at some point. So we had a really fun time making that connection in this interview. So listening to hear Nicole share how she went from being a professional athlete who didn't want to have kids to having a daughter that completely changed her sense of identity. Also listening as she shares how she adapted to not doing it all 
and her evolution from a professional athlete into a working mom with a mission and the shift in identity that happens when you no longer work out three times a day, her mission in building a company that makes athletics and working out more feminine and more accessible to women of all abilities and body types, and what inspired her to start a nonprofit and the impact it's had on other women's lives. This was such a fun conversation. I can't wait to let you hear Nicole's energy. I know you're going to be fired up, motivated, inspired. You're definitely going to want to go check out her skirt sports when you're all done. And she does have a special discount for all shameless moms. So listen to that at the end. So without further ado, I'm so excited and honored to introduce you to Nicole DeBoom. Nicole DeBoom, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm super excited for this conversation. Me too. This is going to be like the big highlight of my month. <laughs> I love oh, it. I'm honored. You are so awesome. I mean, if you... our pre-interview is any indicator, this is going to be pretty much solid gold the whole way through, I think. I think we blew our load at the beginning. So we should, we'll invite everyone else into our conversation now. So Yay, we sing I, I know. Nicole and I just realized that I told her, when, so Nicole was introduced to me through Jill Angie, who's been on this show and Jill runs Not Your Average Runner. And when Jill connected us, I was like, Nicole to boom, why is that so familiar? And so as I do, I did some internet stalking and realized that Nicole was a triathlete at the same time that I was, except for she was professional and like won everything. And so I watched you and your husband race like in Hawaii, the world championships, all these things. So it's so fun to make these connections and meet you. Well, why weren't you racing Hawaii? <laughs> that was never my dream. So I went and watched my friend. And this is my friend who was a very elite triathlete. And she also did, we used to do half marathons together, but we never ran them together. We would just like show up at the start line together because she was way faster than me. And she would sign up for these races and be like, yeah, you should totally do this one. It's a really great course. And then afterwards, I would be crying as I crossed the finish line and angry as all get out. And she'd be like, wasn't that such a fun challenge? Because she would find the hilliest courses she could and then not tell me that and just be like, let's sign up for this one. It sounds like it's really fun and it's like great scenery. And so I finally learned, I was like, do not do races that she recommends. So she went on to do lots of triathlons and Ironman distance triathlons, which was that always just sounded way too hard for me. <laughs> like, you my, know, it made my we... back hurt to just think about it. <laughs> What's her name? Amy Turry. We Joe all Turi. need friends like Amy. I think yeah. I might be along the same vein as Amy <laughs> in the finishing and the quick to be, hey, wasn't that fun? Oh. Let's do it again. Oh my gosh. No. So I did a lot of half marathons and then finally I decided to do a full marathon. And I will say being at Ironman Hawaii was a huge inspiration for that because what you find when you watch triathlons in general, but even when you watch Ironmans and at that level in Hawaii for the international championships, what you find is that there is so much variety in the types of people and the body sizes and body abilities and all these kinds of things. And when you think like world-class athletes and what is required of an Ironman triathlete, which is, you should tell the distances because otherwise I'm going to butcher it. So what are the distances of an Ironman race? <laughs> yes. 2.4 mile swim, usually open water. Yes. Uh, 112 on the bike and 26.2 run. Which is a full marathon after you've done the swim and the bike. Correct. So when you see all these abilities and people finishing in anywhere from like eight hours to 17 hours, you suddenly feel very small if you haven't made the choice to push yourself in a big way at some point in your life. So that's how I ended up doing a marathon. Cause I was like, I mean, if these people are all doing this, I could at least go run 26.2 miles, which, which you know I did one time and I'll never do again. <laughs> I, that's like a dangerous mentality because I'll tell you when I was done racing triathlon, I had started my company skirt sports and yet I still had that whole, like, if I don't work out twice a day, I'm a slacker kind yes. of mentality because, you know, twice a day was actually down from like three or four times a day. So I was like, I'll just jump into some marathons okay. because it felt like just a marathon right. after doing long distance triathlon for so many years. And now I think time can be just like a really lovely thing for us because it gives us distance and perspective on like how crazy we were at different points of our lives. Right. And now I think that's absolutely insane. Yeah. And like, I definitely was not respecting the marathon distance and <laughs> no wonder I started to get like injured after all that time, because you got to hold on to that respect no right. matter what you're doing. Right. Oh, I so relate to that. So I went to school around the same time that I was doing triathlons. I ended up going back to school. I left my career working with kids in a psychiatric hospital to go back to school and become a personal trainer. 
And during that time, I was also training for triathlons and doing the two to three workouts a day, those kinds of things. And I remember on days, if I only did a three mile run, I was like, well, I didn't really work out today. So I totally relate to that. And now many years later, 20 years later, if I work out for more than 20 minutes, I'm like, wow, look at me go. Like my workouts are so short and efficient now. Like you would never catch me working out twice in one day (laughs) or for more than 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. I know. And isn't it just crazy? Like all these phases we go through, like for a while I was like a Fitbit person. So I was like, okay, I've done this thing, the whole triathlon career. Then I like, you know, dabbled in just marathons and then, (laughs) you know, and then it was like, okay, baby came along and we'll talk more about that, but like life changed dramatically. And then it was just like, okay, well I like dessert. So can I please, (laughs) if I get in 10,000 steps a day, then I'm going to be able to eat dessert. So like at nine o'clock at night, I'd be like, oh crap, I got to get out and do like three more loops around the neighborhood so I can come home and sit on the couch and eat brownies. (laughs) Well, and I think you're probably, (laughs) as I think many triathletes are data driven and maybe a little type A. A type A, yes, no longer data driven. Though. Okay, that's the cool thing, right? And I, I let used go to, of all that. Yeah, that's like a perfectionist mentality, yes. and I just it, it was n- kind of debilitating at yes. times. So that's what I found as well. And I actually stopped wearing. I was like big into this is pre Fitbit, but I was big into like my polar heart rate monitor for many years. Oh yeah. And I mean, the whole way that I started my running journey was that every time I went running, I would try to run further and faster than the day before. And this went on for like two or three years. I mean, like, this is the worst way to learn how to run ever. And, and also to see how many days in a row I could go without taking a break. So like I got up to like 42 days in a row without taking a break. Like that is awful. <laughs> that is okay, not good so training. Congrats. You just did everything wrong. I know. Good job. <laughs> but it was all this like type Sarah. A data stuff. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body 
but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Oh, this is so funny because like you can't even imagine. I mean, Seattle's a fit city, but Boulder has been named like the fittest city in the country, probably the world. And literally all the people that you go by who have all their little contraptions on (laughs) and it's supposed to be keeping them within target ranges. But as you like say, I'm riding my bike down the bike path to get to work commuting or whatever. And all I can hear is like beeping because nobody (laughs) is paying attention to the actual zone they're supposed to be in because they're doing like you trying to go faster and harder and do more, more, more. It's so funny. Right. So interesting. (laughs) It exists, but if we don't follow it, it doesn't necessarily help us. I know. I know. (laughs) So a really funny connection that I found in my internet stalking of you is that you, like me, grew up kind of fearful of ball sports. (laughs) So like you probably weren't a kid who loved PE or team sports, maybe. So talk a little bit about that. And because I went from the same thing, like being a kid who hated PE, like anything to get out of PE class to then becoming an athlete as an adult. I know for you, it came earlier than adulthood, but talk about that juxtaposition and that transition for you and going to the Olympic trials and becoming a professional athlete. You know, I would say there's like, that's partially accurate for me because I actually did love PE. Okay. I just really sucked at (laughs) sports that involved a ball. Like if there was running involved, I was awesome because Uh, I would just run up and down the field as fast as I could. But when the ball came my way, that was like the big question mark. (laughs) And so (laughs) the wild card. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, school was fun for me when I was a kid. So I didn't have any like trauma around that. But I gravitated to the sports that didn't require actual coordination, (laughs) like hand-eye coordination. Right. You know, it was like only the forward sports, not the sideways sports. And as an adult, we realize, oh my gosh, I haven't never used my obliques in my entire life. You know, like it is time, right? Now that I'm 47 and my abs separation never totally went back together after pregnancy, right, let's get right. some strength in other areas. Yeah. But back to your question about like finding sport and when it really clicked for me. I was actually a really talented little runner. And what's interesting, you know, this is such a cool and like scary stat, but my little girl is seven. So I love raising a little girl and never thought I was going to have a kid and decided, you know, when I was in my late thirties, my husband, and I got on the same page and we did it. And I feel like being a mom of a little girl has just given me so much more empowerment. So I recently attended like a lecture or seminar about raising strong girls. And the message basically was girls tend to lose their self-esteem or start to really falter around fifth grade. But the girls who play sports, it's not as bad for them. Mm. In other words, like every girl goes through it. So I was like digging back to my own personal experience and then thinking forward to my little girl and how important sports was for me at that age, because I went through all those, you know, questions and questioned my own like confidence and all of that when I was growing up and dabbled in the whole world of like, am I skinny enough? Am I pretty enough? Is my hair big enough for Chicago standards? (laughs) You know, the whole thing. And so my issue was that I was like a super late developer 
but it worked really well for me in sports like running and swimming. So I was a stick. I was just this little stick figure and I had very little muscle, but I could just go and I was fast. Mm. So for me, sports running, I was just a star. I ran a 525 mile in eighth grade. Wow. Which was so cool. And then in swimming, I mean, by the time I was 16, I made the Olympic trials. So it was like, boom, when that happened, I dropped all my other sports. I just focused on swimming and then I got recruited to college and it went from there. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure where this is going, but I knew pretty early on that sports were an important part of my life. And it doesn't mean I didn't go through the turmoil that middle age and high school and college women go through, but maybe it helped ground me a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, because I think the impact of having an identity wrapped around athleticism is huge. And I didn't have that experience until my 20s. I grew up feeling very incompetent and awkward and out of sorts with my body for my whole youth. And so embracing my identity as an athlete later was really a huge shift for me and really shaped my identity in new and really powerful ways. How do you think your athleticism has impacted your identity? Well, it's actually almost been the opposite. Like Mm. I've been an athlete for so much of my life that when you reach like a top of the world type level, which after college, I did become a professional triathlete. And like we talked about earlier, I raced Ironmans. I raced all distances. I was really good at the Olympic distance. I won a lot of races. I didn't win a world championship, but I raced against the best women in the world and held my own and made money. And so when I stopped racing as a pro, I mean, you know, it's funny because I say this and a lot of people are like, oh, come on, but I'll never be as fit as I was at one point in my life. And even a few years after, I would say that and people be like, you're only 35. Of course you could. And I'm like, well, but why would I like, I'm not doing it full time anymore. Right. So I won't. So I had to come to terms with like what sports meant to me in this next stage of life and redefine myself as an athlete for a different purpose than winning races. Right. And here's the other thing, my biggest pursuits in life, my business that I started, my nonprofit that I have, even podcasts that I have, they're all based around sport. I mean, I have a company that makes women's activewear and I started the company because of being an athlete and wanting something that didn't exist. I have a nonprofit that helps women change their lives through running. My podcast is called Run This World. (laughs) So it's still all your identity is still wrapped around that. Do you ever have like cravings to go back to that competitive area arena or are you content where you're at? No. Oh, that's such a good question. So think about this. This is cool. I used to get nerves before races. I mean, definitely. And when I was a swimmer, I would throw up sometimes before a race. I mean, nerves suck. Mm -hmm. They are one of the things that could drive people from wanting to do sport, Right. right? It's that horrible mishmash and it can start like days before a race. Yeah. And when I finished racing, the next time I showed up at a starting line, I didn't have any nerves. I was on to the next thing in life, right? Mm. I had started my new venture. So I kept racing and I was still fast and I still tried hard, but the nerves were gone completely. Yeah. So like when you say, do I have a desire to get back to competition? I think I'm really competitive, but it comes out in different ways. Yeah. And I won't ever be like super competitive in swimming, biking or running again. But, you know, it doesn't mean I don't want to try and learn new sports and get good enough to really enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's really interesting. I have not done a half marathon. Well, I've done two since my son was born six years ago, but have no desire to do anymore. And like, if I can work up to a 10k these days, I'm like, whoa, I'm like, really putting in some mileage there. And uh, it's interesting how your identity just shifts. And at some point it feels okay to just be like, that was back then. And I'm okay with right now. But there was a time when I thought like, how will I build a life around like being able to always run 13 miles at the drop of a hat? And it was like, so such an, I thought it would always be very central in my life. And it so is not. (laughs) 
It's really funny because I, for a long time, many years, I was like, well, I just want to be fit enough to be able to go out and run three hours. (laughs) (laughs) That was me. Mine was two hours. (laughs) Yeah. And probably two, uh, probably like I could do maybe a quarter of what you do in three hours in two hours. I mean, it's just so like ridiculous, but it's not because it's all relative. Right. You know, I want to be fit enough to do other things now. It's just not the standards are different. And my desire to do those same things has changed. I was wondering if it was like maturity. (laughs) It might be maturity. I think that, you know what I think a lot of it is, though, and this is like a perfect segue. I think it's that your identity changes so much in middle age and in motherhood. I think those are both two huge things. And that the impact of those impacts your ego or I don't know, your ego matures and that impacts the other pieces. But I think that for me, a lot of it changed. We're like now to train for a half or a full and think like, okay, so I'd have to go out on a Saturday and run for two to four hours and not be able to like go get brunch with my family. No, thanks. I'd rather go get the pancakes. <laughs> so, yes. and I think that's a big piece is that my identity and the way I prioritize the components of my identity has shifted. So let's talk about that for you. Cause you said you didn't think you'd ever become a mom. You are a mom now you have a seven-year-old. So how did you make that shift to not wanting to have kids to having one? And how has that impacted your identity? Yeah, that's huge. Well, first, you know, I was caught up in this self-centered world of racing. I mean, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Like, <laughs> Which you don't what? realize what a gift that is until it's gone, right? <laughs> exactly. Somehow you still feel confined or something. So my husband, Tim, was also a really badass triathlete and better than me. You know, it's funny. I joke a lot that I say, well, you know, I did win an Ironman, but I only won you hear that? I only won. Because this is what women do. It wasn't Hawaii, which my husband won twice. So like, it's really funny in our family. I'm like, kind of the lazy, only (laughs) one Ironman, you know, winner. So we traveled the world. Our whole life revolved around a schedule that included getting three sports and the recovery needed to make money and have a living. And when you're a woman athlete, having a baby means... I would guess for most women who are thinking about having kids while racing, it's at least two years. Some people push it, but two years and you're out of competition for two years. And if you're making your living on that and there's no guarantee you'll come back and you may come back stronger, which some do, but you just don't know what's going to happen. Right. So it wasn't even a thought while we were racing and Tim continued to race. But I remember being on the couch one day and we were watching this movie with John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. And I forget the name of it. And it I've was seen about, the movie, but I can't yes. remember either. But go she's ahead. like six months pregnant, but everyone thinks she's like overdue and they won't even <laughs> let her fly. They're like, you can't fly. She's like, I'm only six months. But they were like talking to some friends who couldn't ever have a baby. And the wife was really just sad deep down inside. And and the husband just looked at him and said, we just waited too long. We like whittled away our youth. And I was 39. We were sitting on the couch one night watching this. And I just said, Tim, what are we doing? Are we just going to sit on the couch every night? Like just us watching TV? Like that's our life, which by the way, that's what we do now. (laughs) And I love it. But back then it was scary to me. And I said, I have been thinking about having a kid. And we had for many years looked around at people who had kids who were like always on the brink of divorce. And like, there were so many boogers everywhere. It was like, (laughs) Everywhere you looked, you were like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. Yeah. And other people's kids boogers are so gross. And then your own kids, you're like, oh, I'll just wipe that with my hand and then lick my hand. It's fine. (laughs) Totally. And those like booger sucker things, they have one suck it in with your mouth. We have it. The mouth of the nose Frida. We have one of those. I loved that thing. That thing worked really well. But yeah, so we kind of looked at each other and we were both like, it's time. Let's try. Let's see what happens. And six months later, we were about to go and start getting checked because we hadn't gotten pregnant. And then the next pregnancy test, we were pregnant. Wow. So it happened. And I had my baby girl, Wilder, two months before I turned 40. Oh, my gosh. I know. It was amazing. So here's the other thing, though. I had already started a business. I was about, see, eight years in. 
seven or eight years into skirt sports, I was completely entrenched in the business and I had already redefined myself a bit. So there's a whole nother level to the redefinition when you go from one career to the next. But with my baby, what I found, I used to just be a hundred percent consumed with my job. Like, the 80 hour work week was embraced and loved by me. You know, it was, I was always working. It was always on my mind. I couldn't think about anything else. And was that scary for you, you, when you were pregnant? Like, were you certain about like how you would fit a baby into that? Well, I, not really. So, I mean, I thought it would change, but I didn't know how. Right. And I didn't plan how really. We sort of took things one thing at a time, but it's crazy because when I had her, okay, two things. So let's talk about the athletic side of me. I was still working out like twice a day, even when I was pregnant. And, and not I, that's so interesting because it was I, just so ingrained in you. Yes, because my body was used to it. Mm. And it slowed down to like a 20 minute in the morning and a 30 minute swim in the evening. And yeah. it was a hike and a mountain bike ride with like the handlebars way high because my belly was so big, you know, all that. <laughs> so it wasn't like I was hardcore running on trails, but right. I was still moving a lot. Yeah. The minute I had her, everything changed. I've never worked the same again, mm. ever, not even close I have worked out twice a day, maybe three times since she was born and she's seven. Wow. Like it just completely changed. So later, you know, I realized like it's time. How much yeah. time do you have in your life? And like we can't even squeeze in yoga into like an <laughs> overflowing life. Like you're going to squeeze in a baby and not drop something else. You right. have to drop some things. Right. Some things to go. So work at the level I used to work, the volume, the junk miles, that all went. Mm -hmm. See you later. Emails did you miss, get answered. Right. Like I had this period, especially the first year after my son was born of like, when are we going to go back to normal? Like, when am I going to have more time to do the things I used to do? And when am I going to get back to like some semblance of my old life? So I had this like yearning for things to go quote unquote back to normal, even though I loved and adored him. So did you miss, were you like, oh, I just wish I could still get into workouts a day or I wish I could work more and I can't, or were you just completely like, this is where I need to be. And this is what was meant to be. And it's awesome. It would like fluctuated. Okay. Cause I like the way we handled things was I kind of slowly crept back into work. I mean, we had her in daycare like twice a week. And I had her for a day and Tim would have her for a day and we'd split a day. And then I, we started realizing or I realized how inefficient that was becoming and I was needing more time at work. And so it was this like creep back in and it kind of happened over a few years, to be honest. But as far as like the craving for the old life, it manifested more as like a feeling of guilt and overwhelm and like getting a new tolerance for the to-do list never getting done. That's a like, great, yeah. Totally. It's like you're just gaining a new tolerance for that mm -hmm. because I still have a massive to-do list all the time and it doesn't get all done. So it was more just like, I can live with not doing it. What's the most important thing? And then I learned over time, how to be a better prioritizer. That makes sense. What's, yeah, what's really important? Yeah, and I think that's a really good one. I think that is, for me, one of the gifts of motherhood is, and like you said, like, oh, well, as it turns out, I'm not going to return every email. <laughs> and like the things that I used to, as a type A person, be like so on top of and think that were so important. I remember my son, after he was born, I did not open mail, like snail mail for six months. And I almost got sent to court because I had like a toll bridge, $5 fee that I didn't pay. But I literally didn't know. I was like, I don't open mail anymore. Like that is off the list. So I think that, yeah, I think that the things that we prioritized at all before, or were even sometimes perfectionistic about, it really shifts our relationship with those things. And I think that can be good. I think that can be really healthy. Well, I think it has to. Yeah. I mean, it has to be healthy. Yeah. You can't go back. There's no going back. The only way you can go back is if you get 24-hour care for this new human being because you can't get rid of anything else. So you can't obviously take care of a baby if you're not going to let go of anything else. Right. 
So you have to let go. It's funny. Every once in a while, I just declare email bankruptcy and delete like everything that's like six months or older. I'm like, what if I emailed them back now anyway? It would be so weird. Right. I've done that like, or archived. Yeah, like, hey, from February of 2017, I'm writing you back now. <laughs> just <laughs> circling like- back. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. I will say I was not prepared for how bad the sleep would be. I believe that people who say their babies sleep well are lying. <laughs> totally. Like, I don't get it. Or they it. just have a low need for sleep. <laughs> for sleep. <laughs> or they just don't hear them cry or something. Yeah, but yeah. we have our child was and sometimes still is a horrible sleeper. We were sleep deprived for many years and it was our normal and it was really hard. And we tried sleep training here and there and all that. And I guess we didn't try hard enough. Like, I don't know. Or maybe it was just her, but she just slept poorly. And I think what really took a toll for me and advice I wish I'd gotten was I started getting sick and run down in ways that I had never been. And this is like really kind of funny, but about a year after she was born, I was like, I'm really feeling tired. And I look in the mirror, I look horrible. You know, you're just like doing everything to pull it together. And I'm like, what's that thing on my lip? And I'm like, is that a zit? Like I tried to squeeze it and it was a cold sore. I'd never had one in my life. So painful to squeeze. I've never had Uh one either, but they don't look like they would feel good to squeeze. And I was 40 and I'm like, why am I getting this thing? I've never had one. Like I got away scot-free without that kissing disease. Yay. (laughs) Oh, it's coming at 40. Like I get them sometimes now because I get more run down than I ever have in my life. And I think it's due to sleep. But somebody later said, oh, man. Too bad you guys didn't invest in like a really good immune system protocol. <laughs> like, like, well, where were you when she was born? I would have been paying hundreds of bucks a month for this right. stuff if it would have helped me. Right, right. Oh, that's so funny. So uh, if you did invest, though, in your company in Skirt Sports, so I want to talk a little bit about how you started that. And I think your story around it is really interesting and fascinating. And also, I want to know how it shifted and evolved with motherhood. Yeah. So in 2003, I was racing as a pro triathlete, probably in the prime of my career. I think I was 31. And I saw what it took to be the best in the world because my husband was. It was brutal. It is a miracle that our marriage held on. And he will agree with you now. Like, We went through a lot of stuff because it's such a self-centered pursuit. So I knew in my mind that I loved the different parts and aspects of being a pro triathlete, but that there might be something else for me to give a different level of commitment to. So my mind was open and my great ideas always come to me when I'm working out. And there was this one distinct, like kind of indistinct day. It was like blustery and gray and it was sort of a non-normal Colorado day in December. I was out trying to do a training run, totally out of shape in the off season. And I remember looking at my reflection in the storefront window and I just, in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally look like a boy. I'm so uninspired. I'm in like clothing obviously made by men for men Mm -hmm. and just shrunk down. And there was like a little tiny beanie on my head that made my head look like a peanut. (laughs) And I just was like, oh, and it was gray outside. And I was like, the gravity was pulling hard at me that day. And I was just like, I just wish I could feel pretty. Right. And literally that word pretty, it was like pretty, pretty. What's so wrong with feeling pretty? Why isn't anybody making clothing that helps you feel good while you're out working out for women? And I literally started swirling in my head and I ran home that day and I started making notes and I was like, I want to feminize athletic wear for women. No one is doing this. So that was like my epiphany run literally that day. And It was amazing. In my head, I was like, I think I'm going to start a clothing company. And then I finally said it out loud and people would be like, what? You're going to start it. How are you going to do that? And I will always look at them and I'd be like, well, I'm wearing clothing and you're wearing clothing. And I see a lot of other people wearing clothing. So somebody (laughs) figured out how to start a clothing company. There might be a demand. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So I started figuring out how to do this. And 
my idea turned into a focused single product that had never been done before, which was the running skirt. Which I, I was love. Like, oh. Okay, I just have to tell you, this is like all I wear in the summer. I only wear running skirts. <laughs> well, I hope you have ours. And so if you I don't, don't, I'm sending you some. I don't have but, any. And I was on the site last night like, oh, I'm placing an order for sure. So I'm super excited. Yeah. So I discovered them probably seven years ago. Before I had my son, it was all I wore. But then when I was pregnant, it's all I wore during pregnancy. Yeah. And then I kind of gave up shorts. And so then since he's been born, I'm like, I only shop companies that have running skirts. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this is ground zero because wow. we literally were like, this is the epitome of femininity in sport, but yes. it's badass. And, and they're, I'm, yours are awesome. I yes. And so I thought, well, I'm still racing. So why don't I test this running skirt on the Ironman course, which I did. And the one Ironman I won in my entire career, I was wearing a prototype oh of the first running skirt. I love it. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. It was like you cross the line and you're emotional and in my head, everything's swirling together, right? All these different thoughts and emotions. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally doing this. I'm starting this company. Uh -huh. It was like on the race course, I shifted from being Nicole de Boom pro athlete to Nicole de Boom skirt revolutionist. <laughs> I love it. What was people's response? Like when people saw you out racing, because this would have been like no one else had skirts that they were doing rigorous exercise in at this time. So what was, the, I, yeah. what did people say? I would imagine, like, I would have gone up to you and been like, oh my God, where did you get that? I need one. Well, that, and there was some of that, not on the race course. <laughs> right, right, right. After but you crossed the like, finish line, that's what I would have said. It was like curiosity and excitement because yeah. they were kind of like, who is this person? Like, and she's winning. Right. Like, because one of the big myths when I started was like, you can't be a serious athlete, wear a skirt. I'm right. like, I won the freaking Ironman. Right. And that's wearing what I skirt. Yeah. And that's what like, I love. It's not like I'm out here to be cute. Like I'm out here to be a badass in a cute skirt. <laughs> right. And for me, it was like what we wore was swimsuits. So right. I wanted a little bit of coverage and yeah. coverage 
can be sexy. It's actually mm-hmm. often sexier than not covering, you right. know? And there's this little thing for women that when we feel good in our bodies, I use the word sexy, but like it's a feeling and the feeling really is confidence. So I created a product that creates confidence, which is amazing. Yes. I know. So yeah, so I started, I started the company in 2005 and launched this brand new category and we just sort of blew up. We specialize in skirts. We make tons of other products, though, high-impact sports bras, all kinds of tops and tanks. We make dresses. We make a swim collection that just launched. We have stuff for winter cold weather running. You can ski in it, not downhill, but cross-country. I mean, there's so much you can do in our product now, and I can't even believe it all started with that one little Mm. skirt. And you maybe we're going to get to this in a minute. I also appreciate that you are super inclusive with sizing. And so it's not just like you didn't build a company that only serves elite athletes. Yeah, that's true. And it took me a while. Like the market was just, we were on the edge of a wave Mm -hmm. of female voice being heard in sport, right? So it's been really cool to be kind of at the forefront of that. And so as the size need started to, you know, surface, we have always responded. So yeah, we make products that go up to from extra small to XXL. But then this year, we launched a specific collection for women who wear sizes 1X, 2X and 3X. So that's like a traditional sort of plus size category. So, and we're growing it by next spring. We'll have eight styles in those sizes. Nice. I'm so psyched. It's and that's a big Jill. I know Jill, Angie went out and she was one of your supermodels. For oh your- my gosh. She's so, so cool. amazing. I, I love know. her. I know. I know. I loved, she was posting pictures when she was out doing the photo shoot and oh my gosh, it looked like so much fun. So much fun. So yeah. You know, Speaking of like a shift in identity, though, when I started the company, I I felt like I think it was ego for a while. I was in my early 30s, a young woman, you know, an all women's company. And we had a lot of attitude and we were kind of like, I don't care what you think. We like this. It's cool. (laughs) You know, and people loved it. But I would get frustrated when people would be like, so are you doing that skirt thing still? Mm. You like know, they made and, it like they made it sound like a hobby and not a serious business. Yes. Yes. And that like kind of hurt my ego. Mm-hmm. Now I don't care. People still ask me that same question, <laughs> which I laugh. But I mean, yeah, I'm still doing that skirt thing. Yeah. It's totally cool. And I love it. We have a huge community. It's evolved from being a product to being a community of women who support each other. I love That's that. what it is. So great. I get asked a lot by people who are not kind of extended family kind of people or like, you know, friends of friends kind of people that you don't see very often. And they'll say, so do you still have that mom blog? And I'm like, okay, first of all, it's not a blog. It's a podcast. <laughs> and, and like, why wouldn't I still have it? You know, that, like and, when you asked me a year ago, it was super successful. So why would you think I don't have it anymore? Well, and it's like, do I need to wear a necklace that's like a ticker and it's like 1.6 million listens, 1.7 million. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's really funny. People's perceptions. And I think some of that, I don't know, some of it is a lack of people who are not entrepreneurial, I think just sometimes don't get it and that's fine. But yeah. But just you saying that's fine. That's maturity. Like, and that's letting our egos go a little. And I think- having a kid, that's the ultimate loss of ego. And (laughs) like all of this brings us to like where we are today. And I just don't know if you can walk the world that way without going through some of these experiences that test your ego and make you really, I mean, it really speaks to the name of your freaking podcast, (laughs) you know, for real, because shame is about hiding stuff and covering stuff and trying to layer over things that make you embarrassed or, you know, bring you, I don't know, make you grimace sometimes. And when you can let go of all that, that's basically letting go of your ego and just being real, vulnerable. 
And I think the flip side of that is recognizing your power for all that you have been through. And so when it comes to motherhood, one of the things I think women don't do well enough at all in many cases is like embrace their ego and their identity around motherhood to recognize how powerful that makes them in other areas. So, you know, any mom who's gone for months without sleep or in your case, seven years and like had their nipples bleed while they're trying to nurse and had to endure a temper tantrum that lasted for an hour and a half. That makes you so much more strong and powerful and capable and resourceful and resilient in other areas of your life. But we don't recognize that and we don't hold on to that. Instead, we would just acknowledge like, I'm really tired. This is really hard. It's taking a lot out of me rather than seeing like, holy cow, this is what motherhood does to a person. And that makes me a superhero and a warrior just by having experienced it. I know you're right. It's sometimes just shifting your mindset. Right. Flipping it. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about Running Start. Is that a nonprofit, if I remember? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm excited to hear about that. So tell us about Running Start, what inspired it, and what your mission is. Running Start's amazing. It started about eight years ago as a marketing effort at Skirt Sports to, it was sort of like a philanthropic effort, but it wasn't a nonprofit at the time. And our goal was to help women who had serious barriers and by serious barriers, barriers to fitness, to health and fitness, I'm talking they'd been in prison, they're addicts, they have depression, they've lost a child, like horrible things that happen to real people that get them into a place in their lives where they're stuck and they can't see out, but they know they need to get out. They just need help. And so we created a program that it's kind of like a couch to 5K. I mean, there's no rocket science around the training, but what we do is we give women who apply and are accepted all the tools they need to run their first 5K. And the biggest key ingredient is we hand them a personal motivator. So this is like a woman, like any woman, not an Olympic athlete, who has been there, done that, who's Mm -hmm. been through her own stuff and who knows the courage and the confidence and the strength that sport can bring you. And she holds her hand and she's there for her as her backbone through this process and a greater community beyond that. But really, it's this really cool one-on-one part of the program that's super impactful. So it it turned into a nonprofit a few years ago. Well, we turned it, I turned it into a nonprofit. (laughs) I applied for it. Um, So uh, I sit on the board now. I'm a board president and we have an all volunteer board. And this year we decided we were going to grow it. So we currently have 80 women. It's a field program. You can't do it online at this point. We haven't grown it into other states because we have to get our feet under us some more first. But we have 80 women going through the program at the same time all along the front range of Colorado from like South Denver up to Fort Collins. And they're all going to graduate at the same race with their personal motivators, 160 women oh. in one starting line and finish line. It's just the power is really cool and the momentum's amazing. Wow. So I know. Cool. And what's really like at the base of it, you go, oh, from a business perspective, you're creating more potential runners. Boom. You're smart. Now you're going to have customers. <laughs> Great. That's awesome if that's a side effect. But really, a lot of women don't move on to be, you know, stay running. They may do other things or it may just be that they know they have another tool in their shed when they need it. Yeah. But some women, they become motivators the next year. They do marathons. They do ultras. They become public speakers. Like they really gain their strength from this. So cool. I love that the commonality between skirt sports and running start and a lot of it is just making space for women to show up as is and be celebrated in kind of wherever their starting line is. And I think that that's so, so powerful. And I think that that's so cool to have that come from someone who a lot of us would look at you and say, like, athleticism came easy to you and you were this amazing, you know, elite athlete that crossed all these finish lines first. And that was a lot of fun for you. And I love that you're making space for people where that isn't maybe the gift that they were born with. It's something that they're seeking out later in life, or it's, you know, having skirt sports and evolving the brand to include larger sizes is making space for women across all sorts of spaces to exist as they are. And I think that's so important to not just be creating spaces for 
other women athletes who, you know, like enough of those spaces exist for other women athletes right. who are, you know, in that, at that elite level or that, you know, high performing level, but creating space for every woman to show up and feel really powerful and to be seen, I think is super Yes, powerful. absolutely agree. I love it. So good. Okay. So tell us in which ways you are a shameless mom. I am super shameless <laughs> across the board. By the way, I'm rewatching Shameless right now, the show. Oh, such a good show. I haven't watched it all, but it's so good. It's so good and so horrible at the same time. I know. That there's, right now, I'm in a season where there is not one redeeming character, oh. except maybe Kevin, oh. V's husband, because he's like embracing daddyhood, but everyone <laughs> else is like just horrible people. Okay, moving on. Shameless. It's like we talked about earlier. You know, I believe that when you can let go of all that crap that holds you back, that makes you feel embarrassed or, you know, makes you not want to bring your whole self into the world, which I know that's a big thing right now. People talk about bringing your whole self to work, bringing your whole self to your family. But as soon as you can like accept and embrace those things that, made you feel that way and bring them out into the open, then you realize that you are so not alone in this world. You mentioned earlier, you know, people might look at me, they might look at you and be like, ah, successful woman. She's had it pretty easy. Look, she's done all this stuff. Doesn't mean we haven't had our own struggles. Right. You know, I battled with alcohol abuse for 20 years. And I did a freaking talk on a stage about it last year and finally put it out there into the universe. And it was very freeing. We have to come back and do a whole nother interview about that. That's like one of my topics for the year is alcohol abuse with women. Oh, great. So let's do a whole nother interview about that later. I'll be your spokesperson. I would love it. You know, what I can say is that I just don't want to look back and feel like I didn't bring my whole self to being a mom. Mm -hmm. And so if that means that I'm going to go out there and look like a complete idiot on the playground, singing loudly to my daughter to make her laugh (laughs) and turn her day around, that's what I do. I don't care who's looking at me. I've given up the minute she was born. There was no longer any time for that stuff. Right. All that really matters is that you know what's important to you and that you don't have to apologize for making those things your priority. You Mm -hmm. keep them up front, you keep them close, and you just do what you need to do to give yourself and the people around you a happy life. I love it. So great. Tell us where we can find you and where we can find Skirt Sport and Running Start and your podcast, all the good things. I have 17 websites. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I kind of do. Um, well, <laughs> we'll link all this in the show notes so people aren't like, hold on, let me write this all down. Can we do a discount for skirt sports? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Let's do shameless 20. Okay. So that's going to be on skirtsports.com. So come over. We just launched our active swim collection and dresses are out and we've got the plus size category and just tons. So check that out. I'm at nicoledeboom.com too. I've kind of, you know, got my own identity as well as being the leader of skirt sports. You can check me out there. And my podcast is called Run This World with Nicole DeBoom and Sarah Dean's going to be on it someday soon because we're going to hook that up. And running start, running start is amazing. Running dash start.org. We have an online fundraiser going where you can win a thousand dollar gift certificate to skirt sports by donating. We're trying to raise 10,000 bucks. We can keep growing it. Nice. Oh, I love it. So fun. And so generous of you to give that discount code. I really appreciate that. So I will have the link to skirt sports and everything else in the show notes, as well as that shameless 20 discount code as well. Nicole, this has been so fun. So exciting. I appreciate you being here. And I had a feeling we might hit it off. And I'm so glad I was right. So thank you. Thank you for your time and your energy and your gifts today. You got it right back at you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash 
Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.